This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Efforts to flatten the curve are making it harder and harder to do business. How will contract law shape relationships along the supply chain as the economy slows down? We'll talk to two commercial litigators about what will happen when COVID-19 makes it impractical or impossible to fulfill contractual obligations. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is brought to you by McCarthy Tatro. We're exploring the law and policy of pandemic response and looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. Nothing you'll hear in this or any episode of this podcast constitutes legal advice. But don't worry, whether you're a lawyer or not, and I hope at least some of you aren't, we've got legal information aplenty. And if you are a lawyer, good news. You may be entitled to CPD credit for listening to this episode. Check our website for details. Here's episode two, Acts of God. In 1976, in the Atlantic paper stock case, Justice Brian Dixon, later Chief Justice Brian Dixon, of the Supreme Court of Canada wrote about a type of provision that is commonly found in commercial agreements, but that is almost never used. He wrote... An act of God clause, or force majeure clause, generally operates to discharge a contracting party when a supervening, sometimes supernatural, event beyond the control of either party makes performance impossible. The common thread is that of the unexpected, something beyond reasonable human foresight and skill. Was the change so radical as to strike at the root of the contract? Force majeure is French. Actually, it's Latin. And this is me talking now, not Justice Brian Dixon. It means major or superior force. The concept of force majeure dates back to Roman law and more recently to the Napoleonic Code of 1804. It's a civil law concept, and in a future episode, we'll talk to one of my Quebec colleagues about how it operates under the Civil Code of Quebec. But force majeure is also a type of contractual provision that you'll find in agreements across the common law world. They're usually just a paragraph or two, often toward the end of the document nestled comfortably in obscurity. As Justice Dixon put it, a force majeure or act of God clause is there to let a party to a contract off the hook when something extraordinary happens, something that makes it impossible to do what they promised to do when they formed the contract in the first place. COVID-19 is something extraordinary to be sure, and lawyers and law students will be hearing the words force majeure a lot in the coming years, as businesses and their legal advisors, and eventually judges, pick apart these previously forgotten provisions in literally thousands of commercial contracts. To understand how they work, I'm joined by two of my fellow litigators at McCarthy Tatro, Brandon Kane and Megan Bridges. Brandon, Megan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Megan, let me start with you. If I have a business and I'm reviewing my contracts and I'm noticing all of these force majeure provisions that have been there all the time, but that I haven't really paid attention to until now, how do I know whether or not I can use those provisions in the circumstances of COVID-19? What am I looking for when I read my contracts? Well, the first thing you have to do, Adam, is look at what the force majeure provision says. So a force majeure clause is like any other clause in the contract, and its interpretation will depend on what the words actually say. Some force majeure clauses say that they only apply if performance of obligations under the contract become impossible. That means that the party physically cannot do what they have contracted to do. Other force majeure clauses will say if it makes performance more difficult, or it will delay performance. So the first thing you need to do is look at what the requirement is under the contract. And the second thing you need to do is consider what kind of events the clause might set out as constituting force majeure. Some contracts will be silent on that, and they will say, just as you said, 
if a force majeure occurs, X, Y, Z, things will happen. Some contracts will be more specific than that, and they will name specific kinds of events that constitute a force majeure, like a flood, a fire, a strike, an act of God. And in those cases, you would have to think about whether what's happening right now with COVID-19 constitutes the kind of force majeure event that is listed in your contract. You use the words act of God when we're speaking legally and not theologically. What does that actually mean? That's a great question that the courts haven't really talked a lot about. But essentially, I think most courts would say that the unifying thread of an act of God is that it is an uncontrollable event that was not foreseen by either party at the time of contract. So is COVID-19 an act of God, or, or am I looking for more specific language that refers to pandemics or disease outbreaks to know that I can use a force majeure provision in a case like this? I think it depends on when the contract was negotiated. Some contracts that I've seen do mention pandemics if they were negotiated in the wake of SARS. I do not think the absence of the word pandemic, outbreak, or epidemic in a force majeure clause will necessarily exclude COVID-19 from fulfilling the definition of force majeure. Everything needs to be interpreted in context. And part of the whole point of an act of God is that it's unforeseeable. So one might argue that this is exactly what falls into that kind of definition, because it is so unforeseeable that the parties did not even think to include it in their contract. It really depends on what the words say. So, Brandon, we have extraordinary circumstances here. We have a global pandemic that parties to a contract can very reasonably argue they didn't foresee at the time they made their deal. But we also don't have orders that people stay home, orders from government that people not go to work, orders shutting down most businesses. Those may yet come, but at the moment they aren't there. So if my employees aren't coming to work, can I rely on force majeure? Can I can I point to this global crisis, this global pandemic in order to get out of my contractual obligations? Or do I need to show that there's actually something physically or legally preventing me from getting done what I said I was going to get done under the contract I entered into? I mean, there really are um, a series of different things you want to think through um, when you're identifying whether a force majeure clause could apply to a particular situation. So there's the preliminary issue that Megan discussed as to whether or not you know the impact of the relevant event on your business is at such a level that it would trigger the the provision in the agreement, which would involve, for example, assessing whether it's it renders your performance impossible or if it only makes it, for example, you know more difficult to perform or if it simply hinders or delays your performance. Um, so depending on the language in your agreement, you can have a different answer to that question. Um, you know, in light of you know the, the particular facts, it may be the case that you know even though your employees can still come in, it may actually you know result in a delay of your ability to perform. Um, whereas if they can still come in, but your contract says it well, it has to make it impossible for you to perform. Well, in that situation, then the clause would not be triggered. So it is going to be very fact specific, and it's going to depend on the particular language in your clause. Um, that being said, um, you know there is some case law um, from the courts that suggests that. Um, you know, absent something in the in the in the clause that specifically provides that just because it's it's more economically difficult for you to perform the agreement, the simple fact that um, the event has made it you know more expensive for you to perform or you're going to have less profits performing 
um, may not be as, uh, enough in and of itself for the force majeure provision to be triggered, unless, unless as I indicated, there's specific language to that effect. All right. So let's say it's not impossible for me to perform my contractual obligations. It's physically possible. It's legally possible, but it would cost me way more money than I ever thought it would, or it would cost me enormous goodwill among my employees who want to stay home, practice social distancing. And here I am telling them we're open for business. You got to come into work. What are my choices in that set of circumstances? If I can't rely on a force majeure provision, I mean, we learned in first year law school that you can perform your contractual obligations or pay damages. Is that my choice? And if it is, how am I supposed to evaluate and weigh those options? So it's a great question, Adam. It is a choice that people have. Um, there is certainly um, you know, a well-recognized ability in the case law um, for situations in which um, it may be less expensive or more economically feasible for a party to breach an agreement and stop performing it and pay damages to the counterparty um, uh, rather than you know continue to perform. And it's, it's really encapsulated in the concept of what courts call efficient breach, um, where it's really you know um, the, the counterparty in response to your breach of contract, you can basically make them whole by paying them damages. So they're not really going to be any worse off if you actually breach the agreement. So even though in that situation, it may be a technical breach of contract for you no longer to perform, if you're willing to pay the other party the damages and make them whole, there's really it's sort of a zero sum problem. Like nobody's really going to lose. So the courts in that situation don't really, um, you know, they try not to discourage efficient breaches. Um, there are, you know, a couple of considerations you may want to bear in mind, though. I guess the first thing is, you know, if you decide not to perform your agreement with the party that you have the contract with, you know, that could affect that party's ability to perform their agreements with third parties. Um, and even though you know you may pay that party out under your contract, um, that may still not allow them to continue performing their contracts with these other parties. And those other parties could potentially bring claims against you based on you know tort law theories like inducing breach of contract and whatnot. So you have to be sort of careful before you actually decide that you're not going to perform, or you know if decide that you're going to trigger a force majeure clause in situations where it's unclear whether it would apply or not. And I guess the other thing I would just say is that if, you know, in your hypothetical, you have a very stringently drafted force majeure clause that basically says, you know, the event has to make performance completely impossible. If that's the case, there is also um, a common law doctrine similar to force majeure, although um, more uh, rigorous, called frustration, that, that would allow parties to avoid contractual performance if an event makes performing the contract a thing radically different. Um, than what they had contemplated. So it doesn't rise to the level of requiring that performance be impossible, but it is more than a lot of normal force majeure clauses. So you may still be able to rely on that common law doctrine. I just want to go back to something you said a second ago, which was about the potential for liability to third parties. Let's say you and I have a supply agreement. I'm the supplier and I am supplying you widgets under that agreement. COVID-19 happens. My employees aren't coming into work. I decide that I'm not going to continue to provide you with the widgets because I can't or it would cost me a whole lot more money, whatever. In what circumstances could your customers, the person that was buying from you, the thing that you were making with the widgets you were buying from me, sue me for, as you said, inducing breach of contract? When might I have liability to people further down the supply chain because I have invoked a force majeure provision in my contract with you, even though they aren't party to my contract with you? So it's it's a, it's a difficult question. I mean, um, there are certainly theories of tort liability on which um, a third party to an agreement who suffers damages because one of the parties to the agreement breaches the agreement 
um, can sue the party who breaches the agreement based on a tort like, for example, inducing breach of contract. So if the third party has their own contract with the other party to the contract with you, and you breach your contract with them, and that means they're then unable to perform their contract with the third party, um, you know, there may be an ability for that third party to then sue you and say, well, you, through your breach, induced the party to then breach its contract with me. Now, the thing with those torts is in a lot of cases, you still need to show um, that, you know, the, uh, the damages you caused to the third party you did intentionally. So the simple fact that you may be aware that, you know, the, the, the party to the agreement with you, the counterparty, may then be able to then, uh, may then be unable to go on and perform with the third party usually won't be enough to result in liability to that third party. You would need to kind of, um, you know, intend that, I guess, as a necessary consequence of what you're doing at a minimum. Um, and so there, there, there does need to be that sort of level of, um, you know, intentionality there. But certainly those, those types of theories are available and they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty flexible and, and, and malleable. So um, I, I, would be, I would be, you know, concerned about those in a situation where you decide willingly not to perform your agreement. All right. So let's stick with the supply chain situation for a minute here. Megan, if I'm a middle link in the supply chain, so I've got suppliers with whom I have contracts, and one of those suppliers sells me widgets, that supplier doesn't perform his contractual obligations. He writes me a letter and says, because of COVID-19, I'm invoking the force majeure provision in our agreement. I'm not going to send you any more widgets. I then can't make the thing that I was going to make with those widgets, and I can't sell that thing to my customer with whom I have a contract that also has a force majeure provision in it. When my customer sues me for breach of contract for not selling him the thing that I was going to make with the widgets that my supplier stopped selling me, can I rely on the force majeure provision in my contract with my customer because my supplier relied on the force majeure provision in our contract under which he was supplying me with widgets? In other words, could there be a chain reaction of force majeure provisions all the way down the supply chain because of COVID-19? It really depends on what the force majeure clause in your contracts with those other parties further up the supply chain says. The underlying thread or commonality between force majeure clauses is that they are unforeseeable events that are outside the control of the parties. So if you are unable to perform your contract because another agreement that you had has fallen through and you're no longer getting those supplies, whether that counts as a force majeure event will depend on the wording of your contract. Parties should also be aware that even if something rises to the level of a force majeure event, there remains an obligation to mitigate your damages and to respond appropriately. So in a case like the one that you gave, Adam, there very well could be an obligation on the party who had to deal with the breach of the one supplier further up the chain to find another supplier of the same widget or whatever it is that you're making so that your own production could go on and you could continue to fulfill your obligations under other contracts. Parties should be aware of that. It's not the case that parties can kind of sit back and let things happen to them and the courts will look favorably upon that. Typically, we expect that people will take action to respond to the circumstances in which they find themselves. Brandon, are we eventually going to have a body of cases? law, a bunch of judicial decisions that give us a definitive answer about whether or not COVID-19 was or is force majeure or an act of God? I mean, it's a great question. I, I certainly think, um, you know, if you were to have a, a large uh, number of cases, um, which, uh, you know, all interpret, for example, an expression like act of God, which usually appears in most or many force majeure clauses, um, as extending to COVID-19, I think you would have 
um, you know, you would have, you know, certainly more, um, I wouldn't say certainty, but more comfort perhaps that if you were to go to a court um, and ask them to rule on COVID-19 falling within your force majeure clause, um, that they would be likely to do so if you have that language. Um, now, I'm, I'm qualifying what I'm saying because the, the reality is contract, like contractual interpretation is always contextual. It's always going to depend on the specific language in your agreement. And just to give you an example of that, you know, two different contracts may ha may start with the, the language of act of God and a force majeure clause. Um, but then one may go on to list um, a couple of other things, like, for example, um, landslides, floods, you know, fires, lightnings, and earthquakes that are really all sort of like physical, natural disasters. And it may end at that. And then the other clause may have those, but it may have a whole bunch of things as well that involve things like um, you know, military actions, civil disturbances, expropriations, um, you know, acts of government authorities, which which would suggest that what the parties were contemplating in the latter agreement was actually a broader sequence of events, perhaps, than what the parties were contemplating in the first one. And courts sometimes will, when you have like a string of events in a force majeure clause, will apply a Latin principle called adjustum generis to basically restrict the the meaning of more general words in the clause to the kind of implication that arises from the more specific words. So in the first example, the act of God, the, the parties are really talking about are like natural disasters, essentially. So it may be less likely to extend to COVID-19 in that context. Whereas in the second example I gave, a court may conclude that it's more likely to extend to COVID-19. So even though it's the same word that's being used, act of God, the context surrounding the word can still be important to interpreting it. And that's why I hesitate to say that, you know, just because you have some cases that say that word does extend to COVID-19, courts would conclude that it would in all cases. You always have to look at the terms of the contract in question. We're also going to be waiting a while until we have any judicial pronouncements on this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that this is going to be something that courts are, are deciding tomorrow. I mean, I think the reality is I mean, first of all, a lot of these agreements, certainly the more sophisticated agreements that have these force majeure clauses in them are, are also going to contain arbitration clauses. Um, <clears throat> so much of the case law, as you, as, as you, you know, would describe it, that's going to develop in relation to these provisions is going to be you know, decided in confidential arbitration. So nobody's going to know what the arbitrator is holding and it wouldn't have precedential force anyway because it's an arbitrator rather than a court. In other instances, um, yes, courts eventually will be deciding these things, but um, certainly the likelihood of getting a case on before the court in the next you know, several months to interpret this, I think is, is fairly remote given you know, we've seen a lot of you know, closures of courts across the country except for you know, serious emergency matters. Um, and, and when the courts do come back online more fully after this, I think there's going to be a significant backlog of cases. So um, it's probably, I would say, going to be you know, at least a probably a couple of years, frankly, or at least a year before we start to see a pattern of cases that create judicial precedents about how COVID-19 works under these clauses. All right. But Megan, if I'm a business, I can't afford to wait that long. I need to know now whether or not force majeure exists and whether or not COVID-19 is a reason I don't have to perform my contractual obligations. What can I do to get definitive guidance now in order to make decisions about how to behave under my current contractual obligations? In ordinary circumstances, in Ontario at least, one might seek direction from the court. There are certain provisions in the rules of civil procedure that allow parties to make applications to the court. But with the courts being closed, those really are not practical. And many force majeure clauses include 
timelines by which parties have to give notice to the other party that it intends to invoke a force majeure clause. So typical clauses might say that within 10 days of the force majeure event, the party claiming the benefit of that clause needs to give notice. That, practically speaking, does not allow for someone to go to court or even to an arbitrator, if there's an arbitration clause, to get independent interpretation. And so in that case, parties really need to seek legal advice on how their clause might be interpreted and make their decisions based on that. All right. So Brandon, if a business has a 10-day notice requirement in a force majeure clause in a contract, a requirement that within 10 days of a triggering event, as Megan was just saying, they have to give notice of an intent to rely on the force majeure provision or else they lose the ability to do so potentially forever. How do I know if I'm that business that the triggering event has happened? You know, I think the courts, frankly, are going to have to take a bit of a practical approach to this. I think that they're going to, you know, rely on, 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 you know, looking at, you know, when was it reasonable um, for parties to actually, you know, f- you know, perceive the fact that, that what's going on now um, was going to have such an impact on their business um, and on, on their ability to perform that it would meet whatever the thresholds are under the contract. For example, rendering it impossible or substantially hindering performance. Um, and there are going to be certain, you know, I guess, um, events in the history of this crisis that stand out perhaps as signposts. So, for example, things like the WHO's declaration of it as, as, as a pandemic, um, you know, the closing of the Canada-US border, um, you know, so things like that that I think you know you can you can actually identify as as you know isolated, clearly articulated you know um, developments. You know, you probably want to get your notice you know out within a certain you know uh, time frame from those because um, those I think are going to be the most legitimate you know yeah sort of you know guideposts at the end of the day. All right. Now, what about the other side of things? If I'm the business that receives the notice saying the triggering event has happened, we're invoking this force majeure provision, we aren't going to perform our contractual obligations. What do I do next? Well, you know, again, I, I think you need to be um, you need to be careful here. So, um, <clears throat> if if you're uh, in an agreement in which the other party is indicating that they want to invoke force majeure, I guess the first thing you need to do is step back and ask yourself. Um, you know, is it really in my interest to fight this? Um, you know, given everything that's going on in the world right now, if if the, if the other party from the agreement wants to walk away from it, um, you know, the the you know, if you were to contest their force majeure provision, you know, you may be in for um, some fairly long litigation. And so, um, and it's unclear, you know, what attitude courts are going to have um, at the end of the day to this um, this crisis and parties invoking force majeure provisions. They may be very sympathetic. Um, to parties doing that. And so, um, you know, I guess, I guess you do need to think about, you know, to what degree it makes sense to fight it. Um, that being said, there are certainly many contexts in which it will make sense to fight it. Um, and one thing I think you need to think about is, um, you know, the impact that this could have on your relationships with third parties. Um, so again, let's say, uh, you know, your supplier is, is um, you know, invoking a force majeure provision in relation to you, and you don't think they're, they're justified really in doing so. Um, if that's the case, um, you know, in a, you have a contract with a third party that depends on, you know, this supplier's ability to perform the agreement with you, um, you know, you may get into difficulty under your other contract with the third party if you don't actually contest, you know, the first party's invocation of the force majeure provision. Um, because let's say, for example, you then decide, okay, well, if they're going to invoke their clause, then I'm just going to invoke my force majeure clause under this third party contract. But, but the problem with doing that is um, force majeure has to be an event that's outside your control. 
So if you could perhaps control um, you know, your supplier's ability to continue performing with you, let's say, even though they're invoking the clause, they're doing so wrongfully. And the problem with them is that they just you know, don't want to do so at an economically disadvantaged, disadvantageous um, you know, price point. But you could force them to continue performing with you by contesting their invocation of the clause. You may need to do that. Um, otherwise, you know, you may you wouldn't be able to rely on force majeure in your own agreement with 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 a third party. Um, you know, so there are there are certainly considerations that you'd have to think about in in terms of how you know the invocation of the clause could affect your other relationships. We'll leave it there for now. Brandon Kane, Megan Bridges, thank you both very much. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thanks, Adam. This has been episode two of Law in the Time of COVID-19. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. We also hope you'll send us your suggestions for future episodes. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Adam Goldenberg or by email at agoldenberg at mccarthy.ca. This episode was produced by me and Pippa Leslie. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, and Tommy Barbieri, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tetro. Well, not literally here, but you know what I mean. Make sure you check out our firm's COVID-19 hub. You can reach it from the main page of our website at mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19, until we come up with a better name for it anyway. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening, and please, wash your hands. <laughs>